Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. We are studying the letters from the Apostle Paul to Timothy because contained in these letters is instruction that is needed in the Church of Jesus Christ. Join me this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 5 where we see that Paul has moved on from the theological instruction in the Word of God to the practical applications for the family of Jesus Christ, life in the family of Christ. At the end of their first date, a young man took his favorite girl home and he decided to try for that first kiss. With a bit of arrogance, he leaned his hand on the wall and he smiled and said, how about a good night kiss? Are you crazy? She said, my parents will see us. But he's a guy. Guys never quit. So this doesn't end. No, come on, he says. Who's going to see us at this hour? No, she tells him again. Can you imagine if we get caught? Come on, he begs. They're all sleeping. No way. No way. It's too risky. Please, please, please. I like you so much. No, 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 I like you too, but I just can't. Oh, yes, you can, please. No, no, I just can't, please. But then, to their surprise, the porch light goes on, the door opens, and there stood the girl's sister. Her hair's a mess, and she's standing there in her pajamas in a tired, cranky, sleepy voice. She says, Dad says, go ahead and give him a kiss, or I can do it if you would like. If need be, Dad will come down himself and do it. But whatever you do, tell your date to take his hand off the intercom button. Writing to Timothy, Paul knew that some of the most important relationships that we will encounter in our lives are in the family of God. So how do we treat a member of the opposite sex? How do we treat our young people? How do we treat older people? By the way most churches carry themselves today, I am convinced that either most churches are not reading 1 Timothy chapter 5, or they are, but they don't care about applying it. We begin in verse 1 of chapter 5, where it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older men as mothers, younger women as sisters, with what? All purity. Elder in the King James, or older man, someone older than Timothy. Look at what Paul told Titus. Amazing words. He said, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men, what would this look like if the older men made this their goal? The older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, love, and in patience. Men, if you're getting older, I think you are, make these things the goal for your life. This is what you want to be known for, especially in your family. Are you temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience? 
Do you guys remember back in 1985, some of you are old enough, you remember this, that Coca-Cola changed its 100-year-old formula? Does anyone remember this? Yes. And there was a, a backlash, a very public backlash about this, and there was demands for the original thing. People wanted the original Coca-Cola. So within just two months, they had to cave, and the company was forced to return to the same product that they had and stock it again in grocery store shelves under the name Coca-Cola Classic, which made their sales just spike off the charts. Because here's the conclusion that the marketing people came to, that the original formula had stood the test of time. Their classic trade secret had stood up better than the new recipe as proven by the millions of fans who did not want the real thing tampered with. Now, what's my point? My point is this. There are millions of people in this country right now who are recognizing that the new thing that is being shoved down our throats, on our TVs, in our schools, even in our churches, is not the old thing, and people do not like it. It's not the faith that was once handed down to the saints. It's not even sensible what's being shoved down our throats today. It's not even common sense. There are people who want to go back to the authentic United States of America where freedom reigns, not communism. Where faith in Christ is more intellectually honest than being woke or being politically correct. See, old, old is authentic. Old is genuine. Old is valuable. It doesn't seem like anyone in this country wants to be an adult anymore. It's not a goal. It's not seen as a gift from God. Grown men and women in their 40s and 50s are trying to dress like teenagers and act like teenagers, and that's just sad. But very few are concerned about maturing in Christ and living like a godly adult in the Word of God. I don't want to be a teenager again. I don't want to act like a teenager again. I don't want to be in my 20s again. Because with age has come wisdom in Jesus Christ, maturity in Christ. For those of us alive long enough to remember how this country is supposed to be, those of us who remember how the church is supposed to be, do you understand the opportunity that is sitting right in front of us? We can lead the way. The generations that are following today do not have a clue of how to live because no one is teaching them, but we can. We can lead the way. One of the lessons that you learn as you live your life is that you make mistakes. You make a ton of mistakes. But the lessons learned from what works in life and what doesn't can be an incredible help to the generations of Christians that follow behind us. You see, the impact that we can have on people can mean the difference between leaving good memories in our place after we die or simply being out of sight and out of mind. If you want your life to matter... Make it about leading the generation that comes after us. Make it about that. Paul told Timothy, don't rebuke an older man. Don't reprimand an older man with harsh words in the church of Jesus Christ. Don't you ever do it. Don't beat him down with verbal abuse is the idea. Be wise enough to appreciate the wisdom that some older people have. Now, just because you're older doesn't mean you're wise. That's not the idea. Be wise enough to appreciate the wisdom that some older people have. See, most people just get old. Anyone can do that. But there are some that get old and they get wise in the scriptures. 
Look for them. Learn from them. Follow them. And the older cultures of the world, to get older without getting wise, was seen as abnormal. Older men are supposed to be wise leaders, not trying to be cool, not trying to be hip, not hanging out with little kids or acting like foolish children. Respect the elderly. Treat an older man as a father. If you have to address an older man, if you have to exhort him or appeal to him, do it in a gentle manner, Paul is saying. Now, you should never have to rebuke an older man. You should be able to treat him with respect and honor, even when you have to confront him, even when you have to be firm. And treat the younger men in the church as brethren. And older women in the church are treated like you treat your mother, with respect, with kindness, and with honor. But here is where most guys in the church of Jesus Christ today get into trouble. Treat younger women as sisters. What does Paul say? With all purity. You don't need to be hugging or hanging out with the ladies of the church, men, and then wondering why you got yourself into trouble. Men, God gave you a wife. Make her your focus, not the young ladies in the church that come through the doors. And notice that Paul reinforced how the younger women are to be treated with the words, with all purity. Paul means treat them with innocence. Treat them with innocence. Treat them like They're your sister because a relationship you have with your sister is unlike any other relationship that you could ever have. Because when you have a sister, you are very much aware that she is a lady, but there's not even the slightest thought in your mind of physical attraction unless you are unnatural, unless you are a pervert. Men, you don't need to be alone with any of the ladies out there without your wife. You don't need to be hugging on them. You don't need to be hanging out with them and you don't need to be texting them because at best, at best, someone is going to misunderstand your intentions. And at worst, you're going to give into that temptation and ruin your life. Respect the purity of the younger women in the church like you would respect the purity of a sister. Protect their testimony. Be man enough to protect their testimony. Now, before we walk through the rest of our text, we need to understand the culture of the first century. It was definitely not an easy time to be a woman because the culture back then looked at people in terms of how useful they were, first to the family and then to the state. A son was favored because a son could extend the wealth and the power of the family, but a newborn daughter would often be left out in the elements, meaning this. It was something they called exposure because they were considered too much of a burden to bear. A woman was seen for her ability to produce heirs, and so a woman left without a man or family found herself helpless to survive on her own. The Greek and Roman cultures expected you to take care of your family. But it was only the Hebrews who had this practice of public assistance. And so if you were living in the Roman world, you could be left on your own destitute without a family. And as a woman, it left you with basically two options, starvation or becoming a prostitute. And so what we're about to see in 1 Timothy is radical teaching for the first century because Paul respected all people, men and women, as made in the image of God. And therefore, worthy of being treated with respect, not just because they're useful, 
But as we walk through this, I want you to think about how radical this teaching is today for a completely different reason. Because today, people have no work ethic. People don't know how to get a job. And everyone's looking for a handout. Everyone's looking for a free ride. People want to live off the government, and people want to live off the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul limits this in the Word of God. And if you've never read this before today, it may shock you how much Paul actually limits it in the text. Because the purpose of the church is not to meet your physical needs. That's not the purpose of the church. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about the grace of God and proclaiming the Word of God. But God's grace leads the church to get involved and help out in some extreme cases. Now, at Ephesus, they had a list of people, a list of widows, a roster of those qualified to receive help from the church. And Paul starts in verse 3 by saying, Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Remember that in the first century, there were no pensions. There was no social security. There was no life insurance and few honorable jobs for women. And so the responsibility to care for those who need help falls first to the families. And that stands today. Timeless principle stands today. To honor someone is to appreciate the value of someone. We need to raise the level of the respect in the church we need to honor one another, respect and appreciate the value. The families of the church were to honor their widows by supporting them. Paul is teaching directly about the importance of each family, each family caring for the needs of its widows and not leaving it for the church. Don't put a burden on the church. Don't expect the church to do things for you that God expects you to do for yourself. It's to the shame of the church that entire families take advantage of the church. Because they refuse to work or they refuse to take care of their own. They refuse to help support the church because they're so busy spending every last dime on themselves. See, the church of Jesus Christ exists for a reason. It's not to feed you. The church of Jesus Christ exists to teach believers how to live for Jesus Christ. That's why the church is here. And that includes you're supposed to take care of your own families. If you want to honor God... Be grateful to your parents. Be grateful. They weren't perfect. And if you think you're going to be a perfect parent, boy, I can't wait to sit back and watch. You're going to make mistakes. But honor them. Thank them. You know what I tell my parents all the time? Thank you, Mom, for just being my mom. Thank you, Dad, for just being my dad. Because I understand that we owe our very existence to our parents' willingness to give up their time, their comfort, their money in order to provide for us to protect you from a very awful, awful world. So get off your lazy backside, Christian, and take care of them. Honor them. You may have to leave the medical care to others, but don't let them feel abandoned in their old age. They deserve your honor. Respect them. Repay them for the time and efforts they put into us when we were young. Children and grandchildren have a responsibility to step up and take care of their widows so the church could step in and help those 
with no family. But even then, the widows then without families were expected to help the church. How? Well, Paul tells us starting in verse 5. He says, now she who is really a widow and left alone, what does she do? She trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. The widow described here in verse 5 is a widow indeed. She has no one that she can turn to for support except God. She is someone who is left all alone, the only one of her family left alive. She has no family members. No one on earth cares for her. So she turns to God for help by offering prayers night and day. This is a woman of faith. This is a woman who trusts God. Not just someone walking in off the street looking for a handout and then going to the next church looking for another handout and then going to the next church and looking for another handout. I know that game. I know people that do that. You know people that do that. And not someone in that day turning to prostitution to provide, which is what I believe Paul is describing in verse 6. Such a woman was dead while she lives, not a reference to eternal salvation, but just simply saying she was living a walking death. She was spiritually empty inside because she had compromised. When you compromise in your faith, you become spiritually empty. You empty yourself out. The church cannot support a woman living this way. The church is not to support a woman living in sin. Paul says, let the true widow be a woman of prayer. The widow that is honored by the church, supported by the church, is to be a godly woman, someone who has faith, someone who has hope in our God. This is a woman of prayer. And so she steadily looks to God, knowing that he alone is the great provider. She has a concern about others. She's not sitting around with a, woe is me, look at all my problems type of attitude. But instead, she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And if you want to know what this looks like, it's easy. It's in the scriptures. Go to Luke 2, where we read of Anna. The scriptures tell us this wonderful saint. It says this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. See, the general understanding of these verses in 1 Timothy 5 and the wording used is that the church at Ephesus would give an honorarium to help these women. But it wasn't even just a gift. Get that out of your head. It wasn't even just a gift. It was given in return for required service to the church. The church would put them to work. She met whatever needs she could in the church and she began each day and ended each day with prayers for others. See, I can't help but think what the witness of the church would be if Christians started taking care of their own families instead of looking for the government to do it. Paul tells Timothy, command these things in the church that the Christians may be blameless. This is welfare as God intends it. You owe a debt to your parents. So step up and honor God by taking care of them. I was reading about a recent report that was tracing the rise of crime in Britain and in Europe and in Asia. And this thing fascinated me because it's not just any crime. I mean, it's one thing to see all the different types of crime we have in the state of Alaska. Some of it's crazy. But this was a different type of crime. It was crimes committed by old people, the elderly. And the police actually arrested nine suspects in London connected with a jewelry heist. 
The police assumed they were looking for a master criminal. And when they made the arrest, they were absolutely shocked to discover that two of the thieves, these guys right here, were in their mid-70s. And one of the suspects was so old, he was a 74-year-old man, and he said at the preliminary hearing, he couldn't even hear the clerk's questions. He couldn't understand the questions because he was so hard of hearing. It was old men with nothing better to do. Their friends passed away, and so they were lonely. And some of them had been watching too many crime movies, and they thought they could get away with it. But they're not the only ones going down this path. There's actually a lot of people in turning to crime. In South Korea, elderly crime has risen by 12%. That's just crazy to me. Because 45% of those over 65 live below the poverty level. The Germans had three guys in their 60s and 70s known as the Grandpa Gang. I love that, the Grandpa Gang. They got caught for robbing millions of dollars from 14 banks. And they testified that they were just trying to top off their pension benefits. I don't even know what to say. The idea of a widow here in Scripture is one who has suffered loss, one who is lonely, one who is empty. Paul says, instead of turning to isolation, let the widow turn to God with faith, with trust. Lean on him. Learn to serve him. Because let me tell you that when you do have a godly widow committed to God in prayer, they become the spiritual powerhouse of the church. They become the backbone of the prayer meetings. They give themselves to visitation. They rise up in the church, not looking for positions or honor, but looking to serve. But a widow who is not godly, a widow or older person not turned to Jesus Christ is one of the greatest problems. I'm going to say, there was another P word that was coming out of my mouth. Problems in the church. Pain is another word. Always bored. Always lonely. Always demanding attention. Complaining and gossiping, getting themselves into trouble, hopefully not robbing banks. Paul says, let them be the strength of the church, not the greatest problem. See, if you're old, you have something to contribute. You have something valuable. You have wisdom, hopefully, in Christ. You have a prayer life, hopefully, that you can model for the younger people. Hopefully, you have a walk in Christ, a dedication to the Lord. Don't be the greatest problem. Be the greatest strength. But it's up to you. It depends on your walk with Jesus Christ. Verse 8 in your text. But if anyone does not provide for his own, here's one of the verses always ripped out of context on Father's Day, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now in verse 4, Paul said it's a good thing to provide for your family. Here he tells us, if you don't, you show your lack of moral worth. Even the lost people of the Roman Empire took care of their own family. So why, Christian, are you so, so cotton-picking lazy? It's not up to the government to take care of you. It's not up to the church of Jesus Christ to take care of you. And if you don't take care of your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. You have denied the faith. Verses 9 and 10, here comes the instructions for who qualifies as a widow in the church. 
Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now we know from the Jewish documents from about 200 AD that the age of 60 marked the official age of when a Jewish man could be considered an elder. Paul seems to be keeping in line with this for the women left as widows. Don't let anyone under 60 be taken into the number. Written down on the list of widows the church was to support. Because why? Well, at 60, it was unlikely that she'd ever be able to marry again. She needed to be a one-woman man talking about her character, being faithful to her husband when he was alive. With a reputation for good works, because a life without good works as a believer is useless. And so what is Paul doing in the rest of verse 10? He's just listing five different examples of good works. Notice each one starts with if, 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 if. He does it again and again. If she has brought up children, most likely a reference to taking in orphans. If she has shown hospitality to strangers, washed the feet of saints, a demonstration of humility and godliness in the hot eastern lands where sandals were worn. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she devoted herself to good works, meaning she didn't sit around, she looked for opportunities to serve others. Live with this faith. Live with this commitment, Christians, to get involved. A few years back, a man by the name of Bill Lacavura was fishing on the coast of New Jersey. Oh, I love fishing in the summer. Well, he was doing that, and he was fishing off the coast of New Jersey, and he caught something he didn't expect to catch. He spotted this plastic bag floating in the water. And inside of the bag, he found about 300 prayer requests that had been mailed to a local pastor. Most of them were left unopened. Turns out that the pastor had died. And somehow, when people were cleaning out the home of the pastor, these letters were thrown out. Nobody knows how they ended up in the water. At least no one will admit it. Some of the prayer requests just show the futility and weakness of man. People asking for prayer to win the lottery and foolish things like that. But many of the letters were absolutely heartbreaking. They came from hurting spouses, hurting children, and widows crying out to God. Some prayed for relatives who were using drugs, gambling, or cheating on them. One man wrote from prison, absolutely claiming to be innocent and wanting to be back home with his family. In one, a teenager poured out her heart, begging God to forgive her and asking, asking for a second chance where she said, Lord, I know that I've had an abortion. There's not one day that goes by that I don't think about the mistake I made. See, if you're in my side of the aisle, this is what you see in ministry. You see hurting people, hurting people with real problems. Everyone who comes through this door has real problems because we are imperfect people living in a fallen world. And Paul says the widow that deserves supporting is a type of person that looks at these hurts. And even though she doesn't have much, she does what she can. She looks to be involved. She looks to serve. See, even the poorest among us can find ways to serve. If you're willing to walk in humility, willing to serve the needs of the saints, 
Because every one of us can reach out in love and encourage and mourn with those who mourn and pray with those who need prayer. But not every widow should be supported by the church. Verse 11 and forward, Paul says, but refuse the younger widows. You mean, Paul, it's okay to tell people, no, the church did not support him? Yes, but refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, he's saying that regarding this list of widows at Ephesus, at the city of Ephesus in the church who received long-term support, the younger widows shouldn't be on it. Anyone under 60. And the first reason is because their natural desire that God has given them for physical affection and love will lead them away from the role they had taken up in serving the church. They're going to want to remarry. And so they'll be condemned by the people for giving up their role of serving in the church. Casting off their first faith is not about eternal salvation. That's not even close to the context. Nothing in the context would support this. It's about being supported by the church and casting off their pledge to serve Jesus Christ after becoming a widow. And the second reason Paul gives is because younger widows, younger people tend to be highly immature. They learn to be idle. They learn to be lazy or ineffective in their role of ministry, of visitation and prayer. Instead of using the information they hear from people hurting in ministry to serve others, to pray for others, they wandered from house to house as gossips and busybodies. Today, it's different. It's text messages or phone calls. Instead of discretion, people call it what it is, gossip. Instead of ministry, it's drama. Because people with too much time and not enough to do is when they get themselves into trouble. And then so Paul tells us in our last three verses, he says, Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. That's strong words, isn't it? It's strong words because this stuff is important. And he says, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Paul's saying, instead of being a gossip, instead of being a gossip, instead of being a burden to the church of Jesus Christ, ladies, go find the most God-honoring man you can. Find the most God-honoring man you can. Get remarried and enjoy the beautiful blessings of having your own family. I got to tell you, after my relationship with Jesus Christ, my family, these four monkeys right here, Sorry, Ange, didn't mean to include you in that. My family is the greatest blessing in my life. It is fantastic. I love spending time with them. Paul says, young widows, go get yourself a family. Act your age. Instead of turning aside to gossip and slander, following the path of Satan. See, anything that a believer in Christ does that is outside of the will of God is to turn after Satan, which it would include a Christian marrying an unbeliever. Christians have no business marrying unbelievers. It is to turn after or follow an attitude of action in which Satan is in complete agreement. But notice what Paul says in verse 17. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. Even then, some women 
They had a, a good income. And so Paul says, if this is the case, let them step forward and take care of the widows because it's, it's not the church's job to take care of everybody. It can't, it won't. The church can never take care of every person that needs help. So he says, be a blessing to the work of Christ. Don't be a burden. It's the responsibility of the family to care for the needy. And when you neglect this God-given responsibility, you know what you're doing. You're weakening both the church and you're weakening your own family. I've mentioned her to you before, but before we close, allow me to tell you about a real person named Mabel, written about by Tom Schmidt. And let me tell you her story through his words. Here's what Tom writes. He says, the state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large and it is understaffed and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. And on the brightest of days, it seems dark inside and it smells of sickness and stale urine. Tom writes, I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to go there and always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place that one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before and looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower or a few words of encouragement. And this hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair, propped up in a wheelchair, and her face was an absolute whore. The empty stare and the white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye down, and distorted her jaw that so what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. And as a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned that this woman was 89 years old, and she had been there bedridden, blind, and nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. Tom says, I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway. But it was Mother's Day, and I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. And she held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it, and then she spoke. And much to my surprise, even though they were somewhat garbled because of her deformity, they were obviously produced by a very clear mind. She said this, thank you. It's lovely but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it. You know, I'm blind. And I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. And I found one and I stopped the chair and Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. And that was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her story. 
See, Mabel had grown up on a small farm that she managed with her only mother until her mother had died. And then she ran the farm by herself until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, backaches, stomach aches, and then the cancer came. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, the stench in that room was overpowering. Tom writes that Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy, offering what she could from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory word for word. On other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, Tom writes, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop and mid him and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. And listen to this. Tom said, I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain except in the stress that she placed on certain lines in certain hymns. One hectic week, Tom asked himself the question, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour? Day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So he thought, I'll go and ask. I'll go ask. So he went and asked her. He said, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? And her response was this. I think about my Jesus. Tom said he sat there thinking about the difficulty of even thinking about Jesus and focusing on Jesus for five minutes. And then he asked, what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately, and Tom wrote it down. Mabel said, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life. You know, I'm one of those who's kind of mostly satisfied. Lots of folks would think I'm an old-fashioned person, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I'm sad to him, I go No other one can cheer me so. When I'm sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Still the words of Tom. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know. I knew her. And how could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years. And years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns to her God. How could she do it? Lying there in her bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, Mabel died to self. And she lived for Jesus Christ. This is the type of person who needs our help. And this is also the type of person who would be slow, very slow to ask for it. We know 
what it looks like when capable hands sit idle. And we know what it looks like when someone with a true need like Mabel tries to be a blessing even when she has so very little. The Church of Jesus Christ was never intended to care for the medical needs of people like Mabel, but a woman like her can be loved by the body of Christ just the same. Prayed for, ministered to, encouraged, and supported in her faith. So do your part, Christian. Do your part first by taking care of yourself. Just start there. Take care of yourself and your family, your responsibilities before Jesus Christ. And then look, look for the least of these here in the body of Christ. Look for those that are missing because they're sick or they're hurting. Look for them, for the ones that are hurting the most, and then reach out in love with no selfish motives, just reaching out because you want to bless them. Because an active life dedicated to helping others honors our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.